but we're thrilled to have uh, Dr. Anderson from North Central University. Uh, it's a school that we partner with that many of our staff are from, uh, have graduated from, and uh, I just recently was elected onto the Board of Regents, so there's a strong connection there with our school and, and our church. And uh, I asked him to come and speak on leadership when we were meeting uh, not that long ago in Caribou. We were at Caribou, and uh, he started talking about leadership and pulled out a napkin and started drawing things and, and strategizing and all this. And I was like, man, this guy has more revelation on his napkin than I have in my whole mind, you know. <laughs> so I thought, I want you to just share some of that with us. Invest in our leaders, and uh, can you do that? So can you welcome with me uh, Dr. Anderson? Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, you don't have to stop so soon. That was, that was nice. And is that the clock over there? There we go, I can see the clock. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share on leadership and for understanding um, my departure the immediately after it's over. I'm really glad to be here. I canceled uh, all the meetings of today so I could uh, be with my wife and uh, work through. Her mother passed away at five o'clock in the morning yesterday. And so there's 90 and uh, knows God. And, but there's a process, and uh, so the, in fact, even in terms of leadership principles, what do you do and what do you don't do, and how do you schedule things, and so I thought it would be a good thing, thank you, thank you, um, to uh, spend the day with her, but come down here and be with you, and then head back home. So I really do appreciate the opportunity and the friendships that we have here in this wonderful church, so thank you. We're going to jump right into it. What I will present tonight is just a bunch of bullet points on leadership under the general heading, uh, lessons that I have learned in 43 years of leadership. It is not a holistic uh, presentation in terms of it being coherent. It uh, will be an incoherent set of individual points, and the individual points hopefully will be meaningful. Um, so you will need pen and paper, unless you have a great mind and you trap everything or trap the things you want to trap. And I will simply go through it point by point. I actually have an introduction. I was in a meeting where a, an announcement was made, announcement was made about uh, what I would call a larger-than-life personality was named to be the head of an organization. And uh, I said to a small group of people, wow, that's, that's really something, and wouldn't it be terrible if uh, that person had a moral failure in that high level of leadership? And everybody nodded and said, yes, that'd be terrible. And I said, you know what would be worse? And they said, what'd be worse? And I said, it'd be worse if he doesn't. And then they just all looked at me with that deer in the headlights look. And um, I said, here's why. Because given the absolutely extraordinary capacity, intelligence, ability, um, <clears throat> the person that sleeps three hours a night and writes books while the rest of us are taking bathroom breaks in the middle of the night and, and uh, does all of that stuff, it would establish a model for leadership 
that only a rare few could ever model. And so that's kind of doomsday for all the rest of us normal people. And they kind of got the point. And, um, and then I said to them, have you ever gone to one of those, now I know I'm a failure, uh, conferences? And um, within the first five minutes, the plenary speaker has uh, announced enough about his or her life uh, that so clearly separates that person from you that you just want to fold up your notebook and say, well, that ain't me and never will be, and uh, I'll never make it as a leader. Um, those are discouraging kinds of moments, and what I want to do tonight is to, uh, in a sense, reverse that kind of a trend. Um, because leadership, first of all, it's, it's a gift of God, it's a cultivation of life, and it is something that people can do. And to get away from that idea that it's only just a rare few who can be effective leaders. So, I'm going to give you a number of platitudes and maxims and bullet points. I'm going to try in about two minutes' time to give you my own background and testimony to set a picture around whatever preconceptions you might have about the president of a university. I'm 65, born in 1946. I lived in 14 different houses the first 14 years of life. Went to nine different schools my first nine years of school. I was saved as a child, born again, Christian family. But I understand very deeply, personally and intimately, the spirit of Lucifer that says, regardless what my environment circumstances may be, I'm going to do my own thing even if it kills me. And there may be a few people who understand that Luciferian kind of power within to go your own way. Uh, with the result, I was kicked out of high school my junior year and um, was in serious trouble. I was on probation going back into my senior year, both with the school and with the legal authorities. I graduated number 701 out of 711 high school students in my high school graduating class in Denver, Colorado. That's an important number. I was at the bottom of my class, barely did get out of school. I went to Colorado State College on probation and um, was uh, transferred to the University of Colorado uh, and I was kicked out of the University of Colorado in my junior year. Uh, I had 13 hours of F on that transcript for refusing to go to class and a few other things. In 1966, I was accepted at Azusa Pacific College on probation and uh, they allowed me in and um, that if I would behave myself I could stay, which I did. And uh, graduated, then transferred down to Southern California College, graduated from there. I started after uh, finishing that degree, uh, we were pastoring in Portland, and um, my life was beginning to come together, and, and some of those instincts that um, are very deep. Uh, how many of you know the, uh, the, uh, the old man can crawl out of the grave on a daily basis? Does anybody? Uh, you know, I die what? Once and for all, once for a lifetime, and after that remarkable event at an altar, everything's fine from then on out. Anybody have that testimony? Okay. Um, I, uh, we were pastoring in Portland, and I, I did a, a second BA uh, in philosophy, and then did a, a master's in history, and wanted to do a PhD, and uh, started at the University of Oregon 
in a PhD program on probation, <laughs> again, because my, my background was so spotty, and I did a dumb thing uh, during that process. I went to the records, and the open record law, I could pull my file, which I did, I looked at it, and I read these words, uh, the interview committee, and the words are, uh, this student shows no promise whatsoever for academic success. And I, I sat on the floor next to that file and thought to myself, I wonder if that's really true. Uh, because deep in my heart, given my background, um, the difficulties of my life, I wonder, but spent a year there and did the coursework and actually did well, came to North Central in 1982, finished my PhD in 86, and I'm still gainfully employed at one spot, which is no small achievement uh, given the erratic nature of my background. Um, my dad had an eighth grade high school education, uh, eighth grade education, uh, truck driver, construction, welder, and so I come from a rough and tumble kind of western uh, culture background, had two uncles, both of whom could uh, smoke cigarettes and chew tobacco and drink beer all at the same time, which proves you're a real man, and uh, they both died of cancer. And um, My grandfather had a sixth grade education, coal mining family out of Kentucky, moved to Nebraska and rented farms. On my mother's side, my great-grandfather uh, married five times, five divorces, and uh, each time they divorced, uh, he would keep the cattle and the, the wife at the time would keep the land. Excuse me, the other way around. He would keep the land, she'd get all the cattle. He would disappear for a year or two, go over into Wyoming, and uh, come back with a large herd of cattle. Uh, he was arrested for cattle uh, rustling. <laughs> he was not uh, ever convicted, but he was known to be a thief. And um, uh, so I, I just tell you some background here. If you shake your family tree, you may be surprised at what falls out of, out of that thing. And, um, but the reason for that brief synopsis of the background, because our background will create in us issues, uh, it'll create some capacities and it'll also create some deficiencies. Some of the things of that background I just described to you. Uh, I grew up very, very um, independent-minded, very much a loner. Uh, going to school, a different school every year, you know, never made friends, never had friends. That was for other people to do. Uh, outsider, kind of independent. Uh, didn't feel that I fit in and uh, didn't feel that I really had ability. And um, so th there's baggage there. The positive side, um, I'm fine being alone. I'm absolutely fine uh, being alone. Uh, but there's a downside to that. And that is um, relationships have been difficult uh, through a lifetime because if they don't work out, I'm fine being alone. You know, um, I didn't know you 10 minutes from ago, and I may not know you 10 minutes from right now. And um, the trouble I got into, uh, I was a fighter and uh, serious kinds of things. And so, here, you know, here I'm introduced as a professor or a president and with these little glasses and and I try to use a big word every chance I get, you know, to create an impression. Uh, but there's a lot more behind uh, the initial image and the preconceptions that you might have about someone in an academic world. And um, then I like to say nobody tells their whole testimony. Uh, but uh, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. And um, life has been so good. My wife and I have been married 44 years. 
And um, we've had our ups and downs. It's a stormy sea out there, in case you haven't heard. If you don't know anything about it, I can give you a couple of books on the subject. You can read up and learn about how life can be stormy. It's out of that context that I, I went from this horrible academic uh, performance all through school to finally getting turned around, and now I have a PhD, and I'm very proud of that. Not so much the accomplishment of that goal, but what it took to turn things around to get there. And I discovered a few things, such as going to class, doing your homework, and staying out of trouble does contribute to an academic performance. <laughs> and uh, so I would recommend it to anyone who's <laughs> having trouble. So now I've been at North Central 30 years, 13 years um, in the classroom, 17 years as president. Throughout my life I have, uh, interestingly enough, fallen into, been selected for positions of leadership. I never have ever felt that I was a leader. Um, I always felt that I got the positions or the jobs that I got because I was willing to work. My dad had a powerful work ethic and I worked with my dad in carpentry and whatnot. And uh, here's a principle. If you will take responsibility for something, if you'll provide initiative and work really hard and do it right, there are lots and lots of people standing around you who will be perfectly happy to let you take over and do the work, right? Do the work. And so I was, I was elected to be the president of a singing group in one of the schools I was in. And I never thought it was because of leadership. It was because who's going to take care of all of that stuff? And uh, Gordon will do it. So they let me do it. And I turned up being the president. And I've always had that sense that it is competency in work or hard work that is the reason for position as opposed to this vague, fuzzy notion of a leader. And um, there's a downside to that as well. And that is I'm very strongly task motivated. And, um, and reward myself uh, by checking off the tasks that I've completed in a day. Uh, I am a consummate list maker. And uh, how many list makers do we have in the group tonight? That's about right. So in fact, these are leaders, so they're a little higher than usual percentage. Do you make a list of all the things you're going to do it in, in a day? You write it down? How many do that? Okay. Do you put check marks by it if you accomplish it? Okay. Does that feel good? Uh, there's, uh, there's almost a euphoria with the check mark. Okay. If you do something in a day you had not planned on doing, do you write it down and then check it off? <clears throat> you are sick. <laughs> Certifiably sick. And me right along with you. Um, I, I don't have my work notebook, it's in the car, I just took it out to lighten my briefcase, but I have long, long lists, and after everything is checked off on the list, I still keep them. I, just to look at them, I mean, it's just, it's just, you have to have some record to present to Jesus someday that your life really did amount. Okay, so uh, that can help you keep track of things, but can also... Uh, People who keep lists and think about those things also are prone to worry. All right? So how many confessors do we have there? Do you think about things in the middle of the night? Okay. That's when I do my best thinking. Um, here's, a, here's a statistic that I really love. 90% um, of the things 
you worry about never happen. Okay? Do you know what that proves? Worry works. So. Okay. So there's a downside, all right? Upsides and downsides. Now, here come the maxims and the platitudes. Three keys to success, people, people, people. Leadership is all about people. It's not about tasks. It's not about projects. And that's been a hard lesson for me to learn because I tend to be project-oriented and task-oriented rather than people-oriented. But ultimately, leaders lead people. Four kinds of people. VIPs, very important people. They do the work. VTPs, very trainable people. They will do the work. VNPs, very nice people. They watch the work. <laughs> and VDPs, very draining people. They are the work of the ministry. By the way, I gave uh, Pastor Ketterling a set of my notes, complete set. Uh, I made him make a promise to me. I have no hope of getting rich from my notes or my speaking, but I do have some hope for fame. And so he promised every time he quotes me, he'll mention my name, and I'll get famous from this stuff. Four kinds of people. Some people get it on their own. Those are great people. Some people get it on hints. Have you ever in committee meetings where uh, uh, some people are just in tune? They just get it. Other people don't get it, but they pick up on the hints. Uh, people not looking at them when they're talking, kind of leaning back when they're making, and they get the hints. Ooh, something's up around here. Some people get it only when they're told, straight out confrontation, and some people, frankly, never get it. And um, I fired a guy once at North Central and gave him that little speech. I said, I had hoped that the hints would work and the direct confrontations would work, but I've decided you're just one of those that never, you're never going to get it, and so we don't have a place for you. Uh, and there are people like that. And working with people, you, um, there's a little maxim, I'll, I'll throw it in right here. If you are a leader and you find yourself thinking too much about somebody's job, you have someone you do need to terminate. Because people are uh, working with you not to create worry, but to create help, all right? And uh, so that's a little maxim. Now, we are all leaders, every single one of us. Everyone is under some authority, and everyone is in some authority. I am under the authority of the Board of Regents, North Central University, 50 members of a board that convene twice a year and come to North Central from a 10-state region. I am under their authority. I am accountable to them, and I value that. But then I'm also in authority, and there are people that uh, I provide leadership for. Every single person is under authority and in authority. So the principles of leadership are not just for those that in one local situation, uh, for example, Pastor Ketterling here, he's, he's the grand poobah here of all things, but he is under authority. And if he's not, he's a tyrant because everyone, even the one you might think to be on the pinnacle, must be under authority and in authority. So remember that. Professionals or people that are very good at what they do, self-motivated, Self-starters who don't need a fire lit under them. Self-monitoring. They check up on themselves 
and they don't need a constant policeman. They're experts. They really are good at some things. And uh, number four, they're people who do not need their job constantly explained to them. <laughs> okay. So these are, these are principles. And if you find the people, you want to find the kinds of people who are all of those things and people who get it on their own. And, and if you do, you will stand some chance of success in your leadership. It is all about people. I, I say I'm, I really am tremendously blessed with the team we have at North Central. Long term, uh, we have long term uh, relationships uh, in the leadership, in the faculty. And that is, if I were to make a decision tonight, I would say that is an absolute plus. There's a potential downside. And that is when people learn the ropes and learn how to kind of work the organization to their own advantage, uh, keeping those kinds of people motivated and fresh and forward-looking is then the challenge, as opposed to uh, people who are new and perhaps inexperienced and learning and uh, making mistakes. But I place a very high premium on long-term relationships. Our administrative team, we have a chemistry that we recognize that comes from a great deal of love, affection, trust, proven performance, uh, all with a great deal of humanity. We all know each other very, very well. Uh, we know our deficiencies. Uh, the people that work with me, they know my deficiencies. They know that I can get emotional, not very often, but when it happens, I don't waste it. It's just there, there are points, boiling, boiling points, that when they are reached, um, it's not pretty. And I have friends who will call me on that. I have a tendency to be way too patient, way too long, and then assassinate way too quickly. Some of those dreams in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning, uh, plotting assassinations with great relish. And um, that's a downside to a background. Do you see here what I'm trying to tell you? It's a downside to a background that I need to deal with and I have friends who help me. All right, some key principles. Leaders are the embodiment, the incarnation of the core values of the organization. They must be godly and deeply, deeply principled. If so, they will have the favor of the Lord on their work, the organization, and people. The favor of God will accomplish what no human effort can ever accomplish. Now, I could preach every one of these points for a while, and I won't. But it is much, much better to be blessable than to go around begging for blessings. To try to be endeavor to be the kind of a person that when God looks at you, he says, I like that, I can bless that, I will bless that, as opposed to, why don't you get straightened up so I don't have to reward you contrary to your sanctification and your character development. People will follow and help a good person. They will abandon a bad person. People will forgive the mistakes of a good person, but they will never trust a liar Someone who spins the story, who nuances the answers, who shades the meaning to gloss over the truth. You will reap what you sow. This is an inexorable law. It cannot be changed. The harvest doesn't always come in quickly, but it comes in multiplied. If there were any one principle I would identify, it's this one right here. Leaders must be good at the core. 
That as you peel back the layers on the onion, you just find more, nothing hidden, that the goodness, the intrinsic goodness that comes through prayer and fasting and sanctification and growing up in Jesus and all of those things, um, we as leaders need to pay attention to that instead of strategies and uh, slick presentations and political manipulations of people, all of those things. Because none of that will ever overcome the law of sowing and reaping. If you are good, you will reap goodness. If you are bad, lots of badness in time. Number two, leaders guide the organization in the development and the embedding of the mission statement, what we are and our reason for being, and the vision statement, what we will be. The leader bleeds these values. The documents, and I carry with me in every one of our uh, agendas for all of our committees at North Central, we have the uh, mission statement at the top of every agenda. Uh, so uh, typically, mission statement development is a wonderful thing. It takes a while. Uh, people print it out. They get excited about it, put it in a notebook, put it on a shelf. It begins to collect dust. And then you go back to the same old, same old tyranny of the urgent rather than a commitment to the core. Okay, And so the leader must bleed those values. They must be visceral. They must be gut-level emotional. Um, I had a, uh, an individual from the city, uh, involved in a very large organization, but asked to meet with me about fundraising. He'd never done any fundraising. And uh, he said, how do you raise funds? And I said, it's really simple. You tell people about those things that give you goosebumps. And if they don't, you can't be a fundraiser. You tell people about those things that make you cry. Because if it's just a story, I mean, there's a difference between a great story and someone who bleeds the values, uh, that it gets emotional, who, who feels it. Now, we're not, we all express our emotion in different ways. But if, if you don't get goosebumps about what you're doing, nobody else is going to. And if you're not excited about it, nobody else is going to get excited. And so the leader must be the, the absolute incarnation and embodiment of those core values expressed in those core documents. And uh, we've been living now with our own mission and vision statement for a number of years. But we even have a process of mission um, reteaching. And I, I teach the mission statement. I pre preach it uh, three or four times a year to the student body, to the faculty, uh, to myself. It's uh, on the cover of my work notebook, the mission statement here, the vision statement here, so that it, it, the core values are front and center and the, the core reason I exist. Number three. <clears throat> oh, and one thing I did learn easily. I don't learn all things easily, but this one I did. I heard um, Theodore Hesburgh, former president of Notre Dame, quoted as saying, the president of a university can never repeat the mission statement too often or in too many places. And I learned from that. I said, well, I can do that. I can actually do that. And um, for 17 years, I preach it. I generally break down somewhere during that presentation because it's what I live for. It's not what I'm hired for. It's what I live for. And to see those young people, and to see them begin to be formed by those deep, deep core values, it's what we live for. Uh, thirdly, leaders must be led by the Spirit. Ultimately, you can never know enough or have enough of data to really make the tough decisions. 
Ultimately, a multitude of counselors will never be able to provide divine guidance. And I believe in counselors. I'm very much a collegial kind of a leader. We have lots of long meetings. But um, a leader must be able ultimately to hear the voice of God above all the clatter. And uh, the really tough decisions, uh, uh, if you know the history of North Central some long time ago, we had a couple of terrible moral failures in, at uh, the same time. And someone said, man, wasn't, weren't those tough decisions to make? You know, the, the letting people go. And the, I said, absolutely not. Those are easy decisions. They're embarrassing, but the decision's already made for you. Uh, the hard decision is someone who's performing at about 78% and who is related to somebody on the board. <laughs> and that's where the hard decisions are because those are the people who end up staying around the longest. Right? There's some reason they are there for a long time, and the deal with them is very, very hard, you see. And that's when you need the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to make the truly hard decisions. Leaders know it's their baby. Ultimately, it's, I do not own North Central, but it's, it's my baby. Um, when I was hired as president 17 years ago, I knew I would never, ever again have another administrative post anywhere at all, whether it was five years or 25 years. Um, it is my life. Uh, it's not a stepping stone to anywhere else. I, I am going nowhere else. I, I have no place to go. Um, North Central is it. It's it. And there's a wonderful story told, it's supposedly a true story, about a mother... Uh, in Peru, living in the lowlands, and the enemies up in the highlands came and uh, captured, kidnapped some of the children, her baby being one of them. They sent the military up. They did everything they could. They couldn't find the baby. They couldn't get the baby. And um, she disappeared, and two days later came back with her baby. And um, they said, how in the world were you able to do it? The Army couldn't do it. The special ops, they couldn't do it. And she looked at him and said, simple. It wasn't their baby. And when it's your baby and you really feel that way about it, your leadership abilities will escalate dramatically. It's your baby. Leaders are all in for the long haul. They go down with the ship. Would you mortgage your house to fund your own business? It's a good question. Would you mortgage your house to fund the church that you serve in? Now, the reason that question is so penetrating because it, it helps us sense a kind of commitment. Now, I'm not saying that people ought to mortgage their houses to keep this church going, but maybe I am. Because after all, if you serve in the military and they send you over the hill, you might be investing your life for that battle. And that sense of deep commitment, people with that kind of a commitment will be great leaders even though they may be uh, short in a lot of other areas, that kind of a sense that I'm all in for the long haul. And um, now having been president 17 years, um, there are things you can't get done in the first seven months or seven years. It only comes uh, when you got a patch over your eye and a limp in your step, in your walk. And then the credibility of the leader who's all in for the long haul. 
and um, to see the victories uh, and accomplishments that can only be accomplished, not with bright ideas, with bright people, but with the kind of core effectiveness that comes by being all in for the long haul. Overnight successes usually take about 20 years to develop. <laughs> Weak leaders leave a little too early instead of a little too late. True leaders stay until the vision that has been developing over time becomes an organizational reality, until those ideas become the governing ethos of the entire organization, where everyone bleeds them, viscerally bleeds them, the DNA of the organization, until the new ways become the normal ways, even the old ways, and leaders just don't quit. The embedding of the values, it, it's, listen, you can get a vote on about anything with a certain amount of excitement and some upfront gifts and, you know, vision and all of that kind of stuff. And there's, there's a place for that. But the long-term staying power of a great organization is when the values are embedded, not just voted on, not just people say, yeah, I vote for that and I'll give some money toward that. And one of the major roles of a leader is the enculturation of those values at the deepest levels of the people who are in the organization so that you have not just a group of hirelings, but you have a group of people who have been so deep, they have so deeply embraced the values and the vision and the mission. Um, and so in the hiring process, if you don't have those values at the starting point, you don't have anything to hire people into, right? Except here's your salary, there's your office, and here's your hours, and this is your job. That's not what makes a great organization. It's when people get, a, when they get a light in their eye, when, they, when, they, when their heart, the rate begins to race because they've heard something that calls them into that kind of a, uh, a, a lifelong all-in, I'm here as a part of something that is bigger than me and greater than me that I believe in. Now you're talking about an organization that'll move mountains. You say hirelings take off when the going gets tough. Leaders must in, be the incarnation of those values and must inculcate those values in followers. My mantra at North Central is that my responsibility is to facilitate the emergence of the vision that God has already placed in the next two generations, the 20 to 40s and the 40 to 60s, even when I don't understand it and even when I don't like it. There is a principle that I'm discovering as I'm calling myself kind of a patriarchal leader, as an old leader. And that is, I believe absolutely that God does not allow a senior leader to like everything that's going on because we are our own person. We're a product of our own history. Um, we, we tend to value the most the things that were a part of our own salvation, you see. And uh, so after 40-some years of being a Christian, things change and change and change. And it's not the responsibility of the leader to change with those things, but rather to facilitate those changes in others even when you don't understand it. And um, I have hired some young people who do things that I don't understand and some things that I don't like. But you don't have true empowerment 
and you don't have real trust until those people working under your leadership are freed to do those things that you yourself don't understand. Because after all, God is raising them up, and the role of the leader is to facilitate their development rather than turn them into the pawns of the leader's own bright ideas. All right? So I've got some young guys around North Central. That doesn't mean they have a free leash, but it, and I will stop some things, but I turn them loose, and then I protect them, especially from the political structure that exists in every organization made up. Uh, one of the powerful things in any organization is the long-termers, because they will thwart the emergence of new visions just by the very nature of having been there. We've never done it that way before. That's just in us as people. Protect them from the old guard and make sure they are funded and especially make sure they are allowed to continue even when they fail. And if you end up taking sides with the old guard against the emergence of a vision that is somewhat poorly executed by a young person, you're cutting, you're destroying the future of that organization. Okay? And so my job has gotten easier in some respects. These young people, I turn them loose, I stand with them, I beat up the old guard if they beat up on them. They, they, they are, the old guard is not allowed to pick on the newbies. Or they'll have me to answer to. You understand? And uh, exponential power is released. Exponential. Not just a little bit more, a kind of power you cannot possibly create. Now, I have enormous power at North Central. Tremendous, enormous power. Most of it consists in being able to stop just about anything from happening. Right? I can kill about anything. I have tremendous uh, deal-killing power. The second level of power I have is to manage what's happening. I have some power there. The least amount of power I have is to create anything new because that is ultimately not my job. That is a job of the Holy Spirit working in people, and it's my job to see that that is allowed to grow. Do you see that? And um, another line I have here, if you consistently find yourself being the smartest person in the room, you're really in trouble. You're really in trouble because it's not the role of the leader to be the smartest person in the room. And some leaders can't be leaders because they don't know how to deal with anybody else having ideas. They don't know how to be a leader of ideas because if they're not having them themselves, they become intimidated, they, they get threatened by somebody else that's smart. A great leader is thrilled that there's somebody else who's having some great ideas. You understand? That's a leader. And a leader then when facilitates that. And if you're constantly the, the one coming up with the bright ideas, you are in a lot of trouble. Okay. Hire slow, fire fast. That's an important one. Okay. Kill the cannibals before they eat you. <laughs> in every organization, there are, there's, a, there's a principle that people will use the organization for their own purposes rather than for the purposes of the organization. They are cannibals on the body of Christ. And leaders must deal with that before the sum total of all of those forces destroy the organization. We had a fellow at the church uh, school the other day who said, once we were a church with a number of auxiliary ministries, then we turned into a number of auxiliary ministries that had a church, and it just about killed us. 
and if I named the church, you would know what it is. All right, I'm going to finish this with just a quick summary. Since we're working with people, there are eight kinds of people, eight kinds of people. The first four are people who work independently. They work alone. They're individuals. The second set of four are people who work in a corporate setting, all right? So among the individuals, first one, dreamers. Dreamers are not visionaries. They have ideas, they're creative, they're fun to have around, they're talkative, they never get anything done. All show, no go, they create chaos if they're put in charge of anything. Don't ever put them in charge of anything. <laughs> Don't ever ask them to organize anything. Hire them only if you have lots of money. They are not entrepreneurs. We use the word entrepreneur in a way too generous and misunderstood fashion. Entrepreneurs are not loose cannons. <clears throat> So dreamers are not. Ministry environments tend to tolerate or even reward non-productive dreamers, especially if they can raise money to pay for their bad ideas and sloppy execution. You can tell I have no use for dreamers. <laughs> Number two, there's the scientist. Creative, great skill. They have a million-dollar idea on their workbench but they can never get it to patent, never get it to market, and they can't cooperate with people. But they're brilliant kinds of people. You don't want to hire those people either. Third group, inventors and authors. They're creative, hardworking, they get patents, they get books published, and they persevere through the process. And um, you see the difference between a dreamer and then the scientist who doesn't get anything done, and then finally the inventor and the author who actually gets it onto paper, gets it through the patent office. Number four, entrepreneurs. Creative, hardworking, persistent, and they get their ideas to market and they make money. Don't ever use the word entrepreneur about anybody who isn't making money. I'm serious. The word entrepreneur we tend to use for dreamers. Oh, they're just a creative entrepreneur. No, they're not. They're a creative dreamer and they're getting nothing done, they never will, don't call them an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is that person who 24-7, 365, you know, uh, nose to the grindstone, grinds it out and gets the idea to market, gets it, you know, uh, organized enough, and they actually make some money. That is a very unique, tough-minded, persevering kind of person. They usually have trouble working with other people. They can be tyrants. They can, if they try to establish an organization, create what is called founder's curse, all right? Because they've never been organizational people. They've been individual people, all right? They can't let go, so you don't want to hire them and put them in charge of other people. Now for the corporate group. <clears throat> Workers, the people who get things done, they do the work, probably need a corporate setting to succeed. They're not entrepreneurs, but they are pure gold. They are efficient, they are cooperative, hire all of these people you can find. And I'm telling you, we, we've got some of the best people, behind the scenes people at North Central, people who become go-to people in education in America who get the calls. You would not know them, you wouldn't know their name if I called it out to you, but they are pure gold, the people who do the work. They are underappreciated and leaders, they, they value and appreciate the workers. Secondly, managers, they oversee projects and a few people. They are good at details. They're good with people. They watch budgets carefully, yay. Um, <clears throat> they are efficient, and you want to hire these people too. 
Administrators oversee large organizations. They are good at blending the big picture with the details of the operation. They are good with people. They need and use good managers. They coordinate people. They're effective, and they need teams to be efficient. Hire them when you can find them. Um, these are, you've you announced some hirings around here. And um, hopefully you'll have people that will fulfill those kinds of roles. Hope you don't just have some dreamers and some things like that. <clears throat> Finally, leaders. Leaders lead people, not projects. They inspire an entire organization to go for the core values for which that organization exists. They are not dreamers. They are visionaries. They see the future. They facilitate the future. Great leaders are worried about the success of their successor 10 years after they themselves have left the organization. I will tell you one of the things God has put in my heart is to make it possible for my successor to succeed. And um, I have some years left and some of the most difficult things that need to be done in an organization should be done by a senior leader instead of left undone for the next person to pick up and have to limp along with for five years before they get their feet under them to even be able to address the issues that the senior leader could have taken care of, should have taken care of, to facilitate the success of the successor. Visionary leaders create the structures the organization, the administration, the funding, the committees, the relationships for large teams to work in. One of the, one of the characteristics of uh, truly visionary leaders is not just vision and not just ability, but also putting together the structures, the right chemistry, the right teams, uh, working with direct reports and working with people who have a, put together the machinery of people so that the, the, the team of people can succeed. Um, there's kind of this curse of desiring administrative assistance. I'll tell you a real quick story about Nate Roosh. I love Nate Roosh. He's a young guy that came to work at North Central. He built a great youth group up at um, Emmanuel. And uh, he said, well, I have an administrative assistant. I said, you'll have one half time. He said, well, at Emmanuel, I had two full time. I said, you know why that is? because you're such a poor administrator right now, it takes two people to follow you around to clean up the messes you've created with your half-baked charismatic ideas. You're gonna learn how to be a great administrator and leader here at North Central. He would tell you to this day, and my job is to make you suffer so that you can truly be a good leader. And uh, you're too young, you're too cute, you've got dimples, you're too talented, and um, my job is to make sure you get a patch over your eye and a limp in your walk because God is going to use you, Nate. I'm telling you. And, um, and it's been a great ride because he has, he has grown. He's a wonderful, talented. God has his hand on him. I even name his name. I love him dearly. He's a very dear, close friend. But the issue of uh, the curse of administrative assistance. Yes, we need support. But a great leader, no group of administrative assistants will ever make up for the shortfall in a leader who doesn't understand the structural dimension. That can't be delegated. They have to have a sense of the overall structure that'll make the people machine really hum. Um, great leaders create financial health, not constant financial chaos, 
Now, we in ministry, we have a problem here. We tend to depend on charismatic personalities instead of sound financial practices, emotional dreams instead of good plans and emergencies instead of competent execution. Um, I'm all for vision. I'm all for looking into the future. But a, a great leader will create health in the organization, not a crisis-to-crisis way of funding poorly planned and poorly executed strategies. The great leaders will fight the big fights before they leave. I recommend to you one single author, Jim Collins, is uh, someone that I've really enjoyed his writing. Good to great, How the Mighty Fall, and I am out of time. And so it's been a joy to share the bullet points with you. Now the whole deal is find what fits you. Don't mimic anybody else. Find what fits you. My own leadership style is just my own. Uh, a lot of people think administrators are well-organized, well-disciplined. I'm somewhat organized. I'm really not all that disciplined. In any given week, I'll get everything done, but I'm kind of chaotic and random. I can stop anything at a moment, start anything at a moment, get away from everything at a moment, come back to it at midnight if I have to. If people are to watch my, my work life, you know, the idea of getting up at exactly the same time every morning, I never do. Never. Uh, I'm not an early riser. Left to myself, I'm up at 2 in the morning. You know what I mean? So some people think administrators are just fit. Listen, there's no profile. There's no particular model. There are deep, deep principles. So you be you. Don't mimic somebody else. Don't be intimidated by somebody who brags about jogging at 3.30 in the morning. Just go, eh. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. I, I don't do that. All right? You know what I mean? Be you because God made you to be you, but adhere to the principles. Adhere to the principles, and God will use you, and your leadership will create exponential results for the kingdom of God. Amen. It's been a lot of fun to be with you. God bless you. I'm out of here. I was wishing I had an eye patch to put on, you know. Uh, it's great. I, first of all, I didn't know a lot of that about him when I invited him about that history. I don't know if we'd have brought him in. And uh, man, there's hope for all of us. Uh, you know, I just identified with so many things. I was tearing up, you know, when it says, will you mortgage your house? You know, we did it. You know, and I'm like, when he's saying, will you do this? Will you go into I'm like, we will, we will. And many of you have sacrificially given and um, done so many amazing things and gone over and above and uh, just amazing to lead this church because you're there, you're there. A um, couple things, one thing that just stood out to me so strong, so strong. Um, a lot of us are senior leaders. A lot of us are here, you know, we're older. And then again, there's a, a great young generation. Let's go younger. Let's just go younger and younger and younger. Would that be, I mean, think of a way to have uh, teenagers ushering and greeting and this and leading and life groups. Why are we thinking that our life group leaders have to be uh, older? Why can't we have them leading and teaching and an apprentice? Let's think that way. We've got to think that way. Um, 
I think back when I started the church, 29 years old, and people would come in, can I speak to the pastor? I'm like, here he is, you know. And they'd like, do you have the elders? I'm like, there they are, 26, 24, 23. I mean, you know, it's kind of scary, you know. And, 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 and now we're getting older, but let's keep driving it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Let's be known as a, as a church that protects the next generation, okay? You may not like their music, but love that they love Jesus. You may not love where they pierce, but love that they love Jesus. I'm serious. Because after you're gone, who's going to carry on? So, so be loving that. And if I could say one thing to the younger generation, just give honor to the older generation, okay? Just give honor. They may be older or different than you, but give the honor because they did something before you were here. They deserve that honor. Let's always be an honoring culture. And as the younger generation gives the honor, I believe the older generation will release the reins. So that's for us. We need to be thinking that. Let's, let's commit to figuring out how we can get the younger generation in. Um, two quick things. Um, if you want to step up at this campus or at any campus, there's somebody that's been assigned for you to talk to. I think it's at the Welcome Center or in the lobby, but at every campus at the Welcome Center, there's someone for you to talk to. You might be at the meeting and you might say, you know, I just came because it was leadership development. I'm a leader at the workplace. We need you as a leader in the church. Okay, we need you as a leader in the church. We need you to step up. We need you to train. We need you to get involved. And so please see this as a green light from the pastor. You, you are to step up. We want you involved. So please uh, talk to them. And then um, May 7th, uh, Volunteer Appreciation Night. I think some information went out about that. Be sure to get that on your calendar. Don't miss that. It's coming up. Uh, and you don't want to miss that. It's for those that have been volunteering and serving at River Valley. Uh, there's great information for you to be there. It's going to be a fun time just to celebrate and tell stories. All right. At this campus, at every campus, we are going to uh, have worship. And uh, we just feel it's an incredible thing to do to be able to have believers worship. We're here. We're together um, at all the campuses. Just have a moment for you to pray, seek God, and worship. So uh, glad we could do live stream. And uh, all the other campuses, go ahead and enjoy your worship. And at Apple Valley, we'll get ready as well.